We've hit peak summer in the Pacific Northwest. You know, when we talk more about the sun than the rain, but everyone's positive it's likely going to rain in a few days anyway. We hope your days are being filled with all the amazing opportunities we have here. You get the chance to ignore work, spend some time with friends and family. If the card key date is accurate, that's at least likely to be happening on Tuesdays, the Wednesdays, and Thursdays, but we'll come back to that. And just like that, you found yourself in another edition of After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. It's here that you'll find an ongoing conversation about our Puget Sound regional economy. We record this podcast about one month after posting our quarterly forecast and report as a way to expand on the report, but also to engage you in some of the discussions we have in our office every day. Today is July 18th, 2023, as we hit record. Depending on when and where you find yourself listening to this, you may want to consider what shifted in shipping, as they say, along the way. On this poolside edition of the podcast today, we plan on hitting the economics high dives. Safety first, let's make sure our lifeguards are on duty and in their stations. Dr. Hart Hodges is an economics professor at Western Washington University. Hart writes the regional forecast article and will occasionally contribute other articles based on the topics. Hart and I both co-direct the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western. Bethany King is our research economist and works the switches and dials of many of our models while providing a wide array of insights into the forecast. Bethany writes many of the articles each quarter, as well as the monthly updates for our digital subscribers. New at the pool is Drew Havens, who joins us also as a research economist. Drew will be assuming those switches and dials in the months ahead, and we're excited to have him on the team and here with us today. Cam McKenzie rounds out our finely organized waterfront team today. Cam is our research designer and contributes to the forecaster with a variety of articles and the retail section. My name is James McCafferty, and I serve as the general manager and publisher for the report. I'd be remiss in not acknowledging the very many people that work with us in the production of the quarterly and monthly forecasts, both inside and outside of our own research center. Now, where do we start? There's just so little going on in the regional, state, national, and global economy. It's hard to know, but part, in the past few weeks, I've read an increasing number of articles about how we may just well ourselves have ourselves a Goldilocks economy. Now, when I look back over the last six months, there's a large pile of articles about the near certain recession and how the Fed was making one huge mistake after another. Tell me, what has gone right and what has to go right to keep us on this soft landing trajectory? I think we've been waiting for Godot, or at least the most anticipated recession ever that's refused to materialize. Um, one thing that has, that has gone right and that has to continue is consumers have to keep spending. Right. Consumer spending has allowed for uh, a surprising amount of resilience over the last six months. Um, and given the outsized role that spending plays in the economy, it's just got to continue, at least until uh, until businesses, business investment, manufacturing and, and other drivers uh, catch catch their breath. Um, I think another thing that's gone right and we need to continue. Is uh, no bad news. No, no uh, negative external shocks. And we, we were worried about the banking crisis back in March. We were worried about the debt ceiling and the drama in, in DC. Uh, those turned out to be non-events. And I think we, we need a, th this period of no bad news to continue. Uh, I, I worry that things might be a little bit fragile, but look, the last six months have, have shown fragile can still play out. Uh, housing, speaking of maybe fragile, no crash, despite the jump in mortgage rates, uh, hopefully rents can come down a little and housing can stay relatively stable. Uh, labor market has gone right. Uh, there's been a couple of scares this way and that, but the bottom hasn't fallen out with unemployment going up dramatically. Uh, and wages haven't been 
so high that the feds had to do even more than they have. So the, the labor market has by and large uh, been one of those things that's gone right and, and needs to continue. Uh, I mean, of course, as an economist, I want to say that's on the one hand and, and, and now let's talk about the other, but I, I'm going to ask uh, Bethany and Drew and Cam to talk about on the other hand. Um, so I'm going to ask each, what one or two things worry you guys? And Bethany, I'll start with you. So the main thing that I'm worried about is um, student loan payments coming onto the scene again in August. I think that the timing of this is um, is really what's what's worrying me, that we're sort of I don't want to say we're on the cusp of a recession, but I, I worry that that um, with so many households becoming accustomed to uh, their loanless household budget, that this extra expense might be the thing that pushes the economy into a mild recession instead of stagnation. It's going to um, eat into disposable income. And so that's, I would say, the main thing that I'm concerned about in the coming months. Okay, so that could hit that consumer spending. Uh, Drew, can you be dismal for a moment? Sure. You were talking about things that have to keep going right. And one of those things is that unemployment needs to stay low in order for the economy to keep going on the right path. Um, we're seeing the labor market uh, just starting to soften a little bit. Uh, there's definitely a slowdown in job postings uh, that was largely isolated to big cities and larger metropolitan statistical areas. But now that's affecting smaller cities and smaller MSAs as well. Uh, another thing is that inflation is no longer being driven by energy and food prices. Uh, now it's services that's the primarily primary driver of inflation. So now it's the summer, people are taking vacations, they're taking flights, tourism uh, is a big industry in the summer, and a lot of tourism firms can't find enough labor to operate those tourism positions. So they're having to offer higher wages and they pass those costs on to the consumer. All right, Pam. Any any uh, worries on your side? Yeah, I think you touched on a little bit with the housing. Um, we still haven't really seen uh, pretty major drops there. It's going to have to happen after interest rates come down again. Um, so I think as long as everything stays relatively stable, uh, we should be in a good spot. But there are definitely some worries, um, especially with higher credit card usage rates and the fact that savings accounts tend to be declining. That um, some people might start missing payments. Yeah, when when does the uh, stimulus money run out? Uh, Jamie Dimon has said towards the end of the year. I think a lot of the forecasts that had the had the uh, infamous non-recession, um, a lot of folks were assuming that money was going to run out a little bit sooner. So we're, we're we we continue to have that waiting game, James. Well, that sounds exciting, and you know the whole Goldilocks, three bears, dismal science. I think we got all of the. Uh two-handed jokes we can come up with in that section so that's good so i want to flip over and talk more about wages because we we talked about household spending and and bethany you're concerned about student loans and there's a moon i've been reading this week that there's a movement afoot in renton to increase the minimum wage in that city to 19 dollars an hour these discussions always seem so concrete and definitive with wage solutions, right? It's $15, it's $18, it's $47, I don't know. It's always definitive though. So can you talk to us a little bit about the caveats that might be overlooked when we focus on just a wage floor like that? Yeah, so anytime that you have the government impose uh, a price of goods, in this case, labor, as opposed to letting 
to allowing the market to set the price of goods, you're going to have some inefficiencies. So normally when we talk about the minimum wage, and we we talk to people a lot of the time about, uh, about minimum wage, but we're normally talking federal. And I remind people that there's no minimum wage that you can set that is both fair to a small business owner in rural Wyoming and also fair to a Starbucks employee in Seattle. So in this case, we're talking about a local minimum wage, so it's a little bit different. So and and so uh, Seattle's minimum wage is actually 18.70 an hour, and so Renton setting their minimum wage at $19 an hour, it's pretty close. So I actually don't think that this is going to have uh, an especially big impact, but it is still a good opportunity for us to talk about uh, minimum wage increases generally. So getting to the actual caveats here, um, I think we're going to want to think about how this might impact businesses, business decisions. So a high labor input business may not want to be in Renton anymore. They might want to move to an area that doesn't have um, an elevated uh, minimum wage. They might just choose a different area nearby Renton, but not in Renton. So that's one thing that may happen. So then you're also going to have like anytime you increase the cost of goods, in this case, it's labor, you're going to increase prices all around, which is going to lead to some upward pressure on, on prices in general. Now, the question is then whether that upward pressure on prices outweighs that wage benefit that you are providing to low-income people, but that's really tough to say. So um, that's that's what I would say the main caveats are. And I, I suspect that we're going to have a lot of wage conversations in the next six, nine, 12 months. I mean, whether you're talking about Hollywood or UPS or I mean, it, the United Airlines settled on a, a contract here that was pretty significant. I think we're going to have a lot of wage conversations coming forward. So something we may want to explore a little bit in one of our editions coming up, perhaps. But we'll we'll have to think more about that. Drew, the Washington Post had an article yesterday proclaiming the housing recession is over. And it caught my eye, first of all, because that's such a provocative statement. The housing recession is over. They cited a number of factors, but it just seemed too much to pass over today. So I'm hoping you and Bethany can talk to me and our listeners here about the, quote, housing recession, unquote, and a more general update from the residential real estate sector. What recession? So that's that's the main thing that, that Drew and I had talked about is what are what are they talking about? We've we've been seeing these headlines for so long about the housing market is going to crash. So the, the main thing was that people were very worried that when mortgage rates started rising, that um, it would cause the housing market to crash like it did in 2008. But this is not the housing market that we had in 2008. And the main difference is inventories. So um so inventories are at a record low, some 10% of what they were at in 2005. Um, so that's what's keeping prices high. Now, uh, the housing market peaked in about quarter two, 2022. It has come down since then. So, and when I say come down, it's in terms of the house price index, which controls for housing characteristics. So um, it has come down quarter to quarter, but year over year, there's still price growth. And we've come out significantly higher than prior to the housing boom. So what housing recession? There was never a housing recession. It came down, the market came down a little bit, but it has come out the other end much, much higher than when it started. Yeah, so I 100% agree with Bethany. Like she was saying, there's dramatically less listings on the market compared to pre-COVID. Since 2005, there's actually only 10% of the, the listings on the market. 
one thing I wanted to mention is that in our most recent monthly update for our subscribers, uh, the housing permits index showed a 2.3% increase from April to May, indicating that builders might be feeling a little more optimistically about the market and they're starting to expand that future supply, which is a good thing. Still, there's an estimated 1.5 to 5 million homes needed to close that housing gap in the US. One interesting thing that the Washington Post article mentioned is that some homeowners are deciding to stay in their current home when they would otherwise move due to high uh, interest rates. So this phenomenon, the Washington Post termed as hating your house, but loving your mortgage, which creates a little bit of a bottleneck in supply for housing when people would prefer to purchase in a, a better area or maybe different schools or they're going through some life changes, but they decide to stay in their current house because they have such a good mortgage. That's excellent. Thank you both. I, I should mention for our listeners, all of these articles, you find links to those on our social media feed. And if you're not reading our social media feed, you're missing articles like this every day. So we do really do look for the uh, the best of the best and, and then we pick on the rest. So uh, social media feed can be a fun way to, to pick up some fun economic information. Hart, we've talked a lot in our prior podcast about commercial real estate. It's, it's I don't know, it's an easy thing to pick on, I guess. But what should our listeners be thinking about right now in this sector? Uh, I think um, first you need to think about different categories within commercial real estate. Uh, warehousing can be doing quite well when office spaces aren't or something like that. Uh, you need to think about differences across cities. Uh, San Francisco is feeling the, the effects of the pandemic and hybrid work and that sort of thing uh, in a much, much different way than uh, some other city might be. Uh, but I also want to highlight lag effects, uh, interest rates moving up, uh, but my loan's not due for another year uh, or a year and a half. And so we know that there's over a trillion dollars of commercial real estate loans that have to be reworked. Uh, but they, that's not all gonna happen in July of 23. It's it's spread out. Um, some people have called this a, a bit of a slow moving train wreck. Um, I can't help but wonder, is it, are we gonna see something similar to uh, the, the recession that we haven't had? Uh, is, is a lot of companies have cash. Uh, the financial stress and the loan demand is not as bad as it has been at other points in the past. So, the the lag effects I mean because we're we're not we are not seeing the worst of this yet. Um, means in a number of months, the challenges are going to manifest, and we don't know exactly how bad they're going to be. Um, it's a curious time with hybrid work. Uh, so, demand for office space is down, especially in cities uh, where you have industries that allow hybrid work or remote work. Interest rates are up. Some people are just gonna hand the keys to the building to the bank. Uh, it's gonna be interesting. I mean, a, a lot of these topics, James, we mentioned in the, in the article in the last edition of The Forecaster, not a lot has changed since we wrote that article. So it's, it's still a, a good reference, I think. You know, Hart, I, I can hear your voice in my head that, you know, and people thinking, well, I, is there are there things I can do to prepare? And and part of the answer is it's going to be dumb luck in some respects. Which, which tenant did you happen to attract or which city are you located in? Uh, what what there's a lot of macro issues, I think, that are going to kind of ferret out the winners and losers I, in this process, isn't there? 
Yeah, I mean, it, there's there's going to be a lot of randomness in terms of um, what's the density of office space and retail space and in the cities that um, are seeing the transformations faster than than some other cities. How appealing is your downtown for other reasons? You know, it, it is going to be a bit a bit of luck of the draw. Um, and none of these trends are new. I mean, that's the other thing that listeners might want to think about. The changes that were happening in, in real estate, <laughs> retail especially, right? Those were underway. They got accelerated with the, the pandemic. Hybrid work was happening, just got dramatically accelerated. Uh, and what we're going to see city by city depends on the industry mix. It depends on, on a lot of things. It's, it's not... Uh, uh, it's not red versus blue like a lot of articles want to, want to make it out. It's, uh, it's some, some basic economics, cost of living, and changes in, in, in retail that are happening. It's um, how do you prepare? Um, I'd say get a cup of coffee, maybe some popcorn. It's going to be fascinating. Can you put popcorn and coffee? We'll need a study on this. I'm not sure about popcorn and coffee together. We'll 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 dig into that. We'll we'll do some research on that, folks, and and see what we can come up with. Cam, that kind of brings me to thinking about the the primary economic engine in the United States, and and that's the consumers, right? I mean, consumers account for 70-some percent of the economic activity in the United States. We could dedicate a whole podcast to whether that's a good or a bad thing, um, but it is what it is. The Seattle Times had an article this week that the pandemic left us with much larger economic divides, and their focus, of course, is some, some census and some other data that's uh, looking at the characteristics of people that live within the city or within the region there. The Washington Post yesterday had an article about how consumers are spending down their fat bank balances. All right, that's my term. Their fat bank balances, but we're they're still better off based on data from JP Morgan and, and Hart. You mentioned that earlier today as well. Consumers fuel retail. So start with telling me what I should know about consumers and then tell me what I should be thinking about in terms of retail projections. So as far as consumers go, the last few months have been a major boon to consumer expectation, um, with sentiment rising back to its highest point since September 21 uh, at 72.6. So that was a 12.7% increase over last month, which signals way greater confidence um, in both short and long run business conditions. And so there's still a long way to go there uh, because sentiment's still about halfway between its historic low and pre-pandemic numbers. But that's a really, really good sign given the pretty slow growth in some of the previous months. Um, and then mirroring the articles on economic divides, sentiment climbed for all demographic groups except for those lower income consumers. Um, they're still trying to stave off the effects of continued, although decreasing inflation, and they generally have less available savings to keep up with any of those rises in expenses. Um, and so one thing I did find really interesting about that JP Morgan data, it shows that while consumers are better off roughly 10 to 15% than their 2019 money, um, they're actually, most of us are still worse off compared to 2022 tax return data. Um, so that was our big peak and we've come down a little bit. Um, but in general, um, some of those bank bounces are beginning to decline as we're, we've talked about either due to inflation or because people are spending more money on different things. Um, so as far as the market predictions are concerned, the retail market should continue to see slight gains. Uh, about a quarter percent is forecasted through July. And then the greatest recent market gains were seen in miscellaneous retailers, non-store retailers, uh, furniture and electronics, which sign signals desire for some more durable goods. Um, and then higher gas prices drove sales down during June. 
You know, Cam, we talk a lot about data bias and understanding how data exists um, in the analysis we do. And I know we keep coming back to this. And the JP Morgan data is interesting to me because what it ignores are the people that are the unbanked, as the, the Fed calls them, um, which is a, you know, not a huge by percentage of the population, but it's it's still a significant group of people. Um, that's just not in that data set at all. And so you have the group that we know that their bank balances are not fat and they're they're in, you know, they're in dire straits, some of them. And then you have a whole set of population we don't have any data on at all. And they just kind of get swept under the rug from a data perspective. So um, so listeners, be aware of data bias and how data is collected and, and where it comes from, because sometimes that tells its own very interesting story. Part, we're talking about banks, which makes me think of rates. And um, I want to come back to that because should we see significant changes in rates based on all of this? It sounds like our back to our Goldilocks, right? I mean, the f- we must be ready to roll here with rates, right? What's the, what's the story? No, and it's interesting because when people were talking about the, how bad the recession was going to be, they said the Fed was going to have to lower interest rates and so on. Uh, but let me back up. When you talk about interest rates, it's important to be clear what what rates you really are discussing, right? So. Uh, short-term rates, like the uh, federal funds rate that the Fed uh, heavily influences or controls, um, those are likely to move up this month uh, as the Fed continues its fight against in- inflation, um, and then likely pause for a while so that they can see what some of the lagged effects uh, are are ultimately going to be. Uh, but if you talk about longer-term rates, like the yield on ten-year Treasuries, uh, those are lower right now. Uh, as people have said, oh, the fight over inflation is is, is largely uh, over. Um, only time will tell. Uh, they've, they've come down. And, and part of what's strange is you, you get more money right now in, in a money market or say six month treasury bills than you do in putting your money away for 10 years. And you, you would typically think that if I'm going to lend my money to somebody for a longer period of time, all else the same, they're going to have to give me a higher return to, to hold my money longer. Um, and right now it's the reverse of that, uh, the so-called inverted yield curve. Um, when we look at forecast, uh, the short-term rates like the federal funds rate um, do fall slowly back. I mean, they're going to be five and a quarter later this month. They, they fall slowly back towards 4%, maybe just under by 2025, and you look at forecasts of the 10-year Treasury, and they're going down a little bit too, but they're already below four. And, and so if if these forecasts are true, you've got an inver- inverted yield curve for another two years. Um, it makes n- no sense to me uh, and, the, and the distortions that that would create. So are we likely to see rates moving around? Uh, the short answer is yeah. <laughs> Things don't make sense right now. And I think within two years, they're going to have to get back to something that's more this based more on fundamentals. Uh, I, I, short-term rates are going to have to come down a little bit quicker, uh, and they, they can if inflation actually gets closer to two, but longer-term rates have to move back up a little bit. Uh, so it, it's going to be fun to watch. And fun to watch. With my probably- coffee and my popcorn. With you, okay. Well, I've got you down the scorecard of preferring that. So we're we're gonna do a we'll do, we'll get maybe that'll be our sample on it's a on coffee a, milkshake. By the way, a coffee milkshake. Well, that changes everything right there. So Hart, you let off the latest edition of the forecaster talking about accuracy of data. We also had an article describing that statistically, our overall our forecast models held up really well through some very quote interesting unquote times. 
I'm curious what cautionary tales the team would add to this. Well, I mean, I, I'll throw out one reminder while they collect their thoughts. I mean, would, um, I know it's a cautionary tale as it, so much as a, a reminder that a good forecast is a good assessment of the data. The data are not perfect. We know there's going to be revisions and changes. Uh, and, and some of the missing data that you and Cam were just talking about. Uh, so a forecast is not gospel. We're going to be wrong, uh, hopefully not that wrong. And the process of, of studying your errors and figuring out what you missed and why, we hope that makes all of us uh, here on the team and, and our readers uh, more knowledgeable about the, about the regional economy. Uh, but uh, let's, let's go backwards. Cam, do you have a, a cautionary tale when you think about the data or the forecasting or no i think you hit it on the head um you can do everything completely right and the data can still be wrong as i've just had with some of the retail data there's a big old revision there and so even though uh all of that was normal everything changes again um and you just got to start over and and read the data again bethany any words of caution i'll echo what cam said no data is real some data is more real than others. So one example would be unemployment insurance claims. We know exactly how many unemployment insurance claims there are. We know that. We don't know how many people are unemployed, but we do know how many unemployment insurance claims there are. But a lot of data is based on surveys and statistical extrapolations, which can mean that if your response rate is low, your data is going to be off. And so lately we're getting low response rates and that's leading to more data revisions and things like that. So we just need to keep in mind that revisions happen um, and they're happening a little bit more often now in their bigger revisions. And so that's one thing to keep in mind. And then another thing that we need to keep in mind um, that we've come across lately in Washington state is changes to how uh, retail workers are being counted. And so that's just changing things up a little bit. So we've had just some changes in data lately that are just causing things to be a little bit funky. So yeah, not to fear, but it's just, it's all a process of when you're wrong on things, it's just, it's a learning opportunity. And if we could forecast the future exactly right, that'd be cool, but we probably wouldn't learn that much. So. And the person you... that just drove off the freeway with data is not real. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Get your tires back on the pavement. It'll be okay. Yeah. The comment that we know how many unemployment insurance claims there are, I think is true, but it makes me think of the all, all the fraudulent claims that we had at the beginning of COVID. So we know how many, but there's still still some issues. It's that always is, an interesting time. That's 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 for sure. So this looks like we're just about out of time for this episode already. The time goes by so fast. It's uh, We could do this for hours, but I don't think anyone would listen to that. So Bethany and Drew, you create monthly updates, which are available to our online subscribers. In fact, I think those went up just the other day. So what should our listeners be looking forward to reading? Well, we have some positive news in terms of employment. Even amidst continued tech layoffs, the Puget Sound continues to see very strong employment growth. Uh, we actually observed about 8,000 new jobs in May alone. Um, in addition to that, core inflation is remaining higher than overall inflation, which, as I mentioned earlier, that indicates food and energy are not the main cause of inflation anymore. Now, the rising cost of services is the primary driver. Um, for now, the labor market is still relatively tight, which makes it difficult for businesses to hire enough labor. And as a result, wages increase and the cost for services increases. Bethany might talk about some other reasons why inflation is still higher than we'd like it to be. 
One other thing to mention is that the sales of durable goods are continuing to fall. Specifically, the index is down 7.5% compared to a year before. Typically, more expensive items such as quality furniture, cars, and appliances, those are what we categorize durable goods as. And these are these items are often financed with high interest rates, reducing the amount of consumers willing to purchase those durable goods. And then, like Bethany mentioned earlier in the episode, the resuming student loan payments will decrease household disposable income, and that in turn will also reduce demand for non-essential purchases. So good news and overall in the monthly updates for uh, employment growth. But yeah, that inflation is still remaining a little bit higher than we'd like it to be. And the durable goods sales are definitely continuing that downhill trend. Just to close that loop on what Drew had mentioned with inflation remaining higher higher than we would like it to be, a lot of that is a lot of the cause for inflation to be higher than we want it to be is due to factors that are external to the economy, really. So um, things like natural disasters disrupting the supply chain and also causing food shortages and things like that around the world. There's some of those factors that are really baking in some um, higher inflation numbers. So then the last thing that I wanted to mention was that the real estate index, normally I would be saying, that the re- don't forget about the real estate index because that comes out in just a few days, but we went ahead and did that early this month. So the real estate index is already out. It's already been out. So make sure you take a look at that. And just a reminder for the future is that now the real estate index is going to be coming up at about the same time as the usual forecaster. So um, you can look forward to reading that just right after you read the, the quarterly forecast. With your popcorn and or coffee. Perfect. All right. I like it when we have themes for these uh, podcasts. It's, it's It brings it all together so much better for me. Well, this brings a close to this edition of the After Office Hours of the Future Sound Economic Forecaster. We encourage you to follow us on social media to have a front row seat of reading over our shoulders on a daily basis. And there's a little bit of yoga move in that when you when you do that right. You can learn all kinds of different ways to connect with us that way as well, which is always good. You can also reach us via our website at cebr.ww.edu or by email at cebr at ww.edu with questions, comments, or if you're interested in having us speak at an event. We do come out on the road and, and do some really fun uh, presentations. They're not your boring economics talks, as you can probably imagine from the back and forth here today. We can do this live, which is uh, often a, a really good time for everybody. After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster is a production of the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western Washington University. We want to thank our producer, Jill Poon, and our friends at KDMC. That makes this all look really easy and polished when you get to hear it. To learn more about the topics discussed today, please visit us at economicforecaster.com and subscribe to our quarterly newsletter. You can subscribe to After Office Hours, the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster on Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Transistor, or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. From all of us at Western Washington University, we hope you have a great day and remind you to wear sunscreen. Bye.